we're going to be focusing to more, this morning on something that we share together, a heritage that is yours in the Messiah Jesus. When Paul promises that in the gospel, the middle wall of partition has been broken down, dividing Jews and Gentiles, making us one together in the body of Christ. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And it's a spiritual truth, but there's so much to that, including the fact that now all that God did to reveal himself through the fathers and through the prophets and through the festivals of Israel, this now becomes your heritage too in the Messiah. And this morning we're going to look at just one special aspect of that in the story of the Passover. Passover is the deliverance of the Jewish people from bondage and slavery in Egypt thousands of years ago. But as we look more closely at this festival of redemption, this feast of redemption, you're going to see that God, in delivering Israel from slavery, wove into the very fabric of that story a picture of a far greater redemption of all the world from the Egypt of sin through our Passover lamb, who is Jesus, the Messiah. I so wish that all of my Jewish people could see what you're going to see today. For most of my Jewish people, the festivals are like this. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. But there is so much more, and you're going to begin to see that today. You're going to get a glimpse of all of God's grace and all that he wove into that story. So journey with me back in time to that first Passover story, which we find in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 5 through 8 and 11 through 15. Now, guys, somebody didn't take a cup but took my Bible, so I'm going to need a Bible. If we don't have one, if it's back there, there we go. Do you have the, do you have the glorified version here? All right. <laughs> He's got an ESV, but you may have an ASV on the screen there. We've got, for those of you who didn't bring your Bible, we do have it uh, up there for you to see. And I'm going to be going to the first Passover story which we find in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 5 through 8 and 11 through 15. Now, if you remember, at this time, Israel was in bondage. We were enslaved in Egypt, and God promised he was going to redeem us. And so he raised up Moses, sent him to the Pharaoh to say, let my people go. But Pharaoh wasn't exactly willing to listen, so God had to persuade Pharaoh to listen. God can be very persuasive when he wants to be, right? And he persuaded Pharaoh by sending a series of plagues on the land of Egypt. You remember the story. There were ten plagues in all. Now, the Jewish people were living in a section of Egypt called Goshen, and they were automatically exempt from the first nine of those ten plagues. So, for example, the Bible tells us when darkness fell across the land as a plague from the Lord, there was still light in Goshen where the Jewish people were living. Or when God struck the cattle of the Egyptians with a plague, the cattle of the Israelites were spared. But not so with the tenth plague, which was the worst plague, the death of the firstborn. In order that that plague should not also fall on the Jewish people, God commanded them that they take one lamb per family. And that's where we pick up the story now, Exodus 12, beginning with verse 5. Okay. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. 
when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Now verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will fall you, befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened <clears throat> from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. That then is the historical institution of the Passover. We know then that the first Passover was celebrated on the night of the tenth plague way back in the land of Egypt. But as we just read, God commanded Israel to continue to celebrate the Passover as a lasting ordinance. And so, throughout our history, as we celebrated, there were various symbols and traditions added to the observance to remind us of the first Passover back in the land of Egypt. So that by the time Jesus and his disciples were celebrating Passover, all but two of the items that you see on this table today were already incorporated into that Passover observance. Now, of course, the most significant Passover that Jesus and the disciples celebrated was that one in the upper room in Jerusalem. The Last Supper was a Passover. So then how much more significant does this festival come to be for us who are followers of Jesus in light of all that he said and did on that night he was betrayed? And of course, we're still celebrating Passover every year in Jewish homes all around the world. And there's a tremendous amount of preparation that goes into the celebration of the Passover. You might remember that God even sent Peter, that Jesus even sent Peter and John ahead of him into the city of Jerusalem saying, go prepare the Passover that we may eat. And, and this preparation involves many different things, but most significantly doing exactly what God commanded Israel to do way back in Egypt as we read in verse 15. We were to cleanse our houses of all leaven, which of course today means that all your Krispy Kreme donuts and all your pumpernickel rye have to go. But because Passover comes during the spring in religious Orthodox Jewish homes, it has now become a time for a general house cleaning. And mom will begin weeks in advance cleaning everything from floor to ceiling. There's even a whole different set of dishes put out for use at Passover. But we have a problem. And the problem is that although it is the mother who does the cleaning, the rabbis tell us only the man can certify that the house has been properly cleaned. You can see what kind of a problem we have. <laughs> the rabbis knew that the men would be hard-pressed to get the job done by themselves, 
and they wanted to ensure peace and harmony in the home at Passover. So they got together and they thought about this problem and came up with a solution, which in Hebrew we call bedikat chametz, the searching out of the leaven. And here's how it works. The night before Passover, mom, already having cleaned the house of all leaven, will take a little bit that's left over, maybe crumbs from the toast they had for breakfast that morning, something with yeast in it. She will take that and hide it somewhere in the house. The man coming home that evening will take in his hand a feather, a wooden spoon, and a napkin. And he'll go on a GI inspection to search out the leaven, looking high, looking low for those crumbs. Now, if his wife has been good enough to him, she's hit it in the same place she hit it last year and the year before that and the year before that, so that when he finally finds those crumbs, he takes the feather and with a steady hand, he scrapes the crumbs into the spoon, wraps the whole thing up in the napkin, and then what you can still see men doing in religious Jewish communities today is that evening marching off to the local synagogue and there's a bonfire burning in the courtyard. He takes the package, tosses it into the bonfire, recites a prayer, and so declares the house now properly cleaned. <laughs> An ingenious way for the men to get out of the house cleaning, right? Well, you know, the Apostle Paul actually makes a very specific analogy to this very custom of Bedikat Chametz in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and beginning with verse 6. Paul says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so we see from that passage that leaven is not just something with yeast in it. In the Bible, it's a symbol for sin. A piece of leavened dough added to an unleavened lump would cause that new lump to rise, to become puffed up. And so sin in our lives, passed down from generation to generation, similarly causes our lives to become utterly sinful, if you will, to become puffed up in our own estimation before God. Likewise, Paul says, as the leaven is a symbol for sin, so then the unleavened bread, the matzah, which we eat for seven days at Passover, is a symbol of purity and of righteousness before God. Now, ladies, I know you must be thinking it seems entirely unfair that you are the ones that have to do all the hard work cleaning house while the man gets all the ceremonial glory declaring it clean. Well, ladies, you have your very own bit of ceremonial glory, which is actually ushering in the celebration of the Passover. And at this time, mom will take this book, which is called Haggadah. Haggadah is a Hebrew word. It means the story or the telling. And within this beautifully bound, beautifully illustrated book is the story, the prayers, the ceremony of Passover. So mom will use this book to begin the service. And while I don't have a Haggadah for each and every one of you, I do have a brochure that you should have received when you came in, every one of you, and it uh, has on the inside of it blessings. If you'll take that out right now, if you didn't get one, we want you to raise your hand so that you can participate, and ushers will come right now. Ushers, could you come please and hand those out? We'd really appreciate that. 
And uh, this is the way that the Passover celebration begins. Passover is celebrated in the home around the family dinner table. You might remember the first Passover we celebrated was in Egypt standing up. We had our loins skirted, our shoes on our feet, our staves on our hands ready to take off at a moment's notice. And you see, only free people could recline at the meal in ancient Near Eastern culture. Slaves had to stand. And once we were slaves, but now we're free. And as a symbol of our freedom at Passover, we recline on these pillows, which makes it very comfortable, especially if Passover takes four to six hours, which it often does. But don't worry, we'll go through it quite a bit quicker today. But these pillows serve as that symbol of our freedom that we've been delivered. And this Haggadah is the service that we use, and uh, hopefully by now you have them. Ushers, we've only got one usher handing stuff out. Can we hurry up with that? That would be great, because the first thing that we do is we have what's called the brachut haner, which is the blessing over the candles. And uh, I'm going to say this blessing in Hebrew, and then I'm going to uh, invite the ladies to join me with the English, okay? And hopefully you've got your brochure right now. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher kitshanu bumitzvotav V'tzivanu lahadlikner Shel yom tov Amen Together ladies in English Blessed art thou, O Lord our God King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to kindle the festival lights. Now, I think it is appropriate that it is the woman rather than the man who lights the candles and so brings light to the festival table, because in the same way it was not through a man, it was through a woman and the will of God that the light of the world came into the world. As the prophet Isaiah declared, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of my people Israel. And so now our Passover can begin. The father leads the Passover, and as the leader of the family, he puts on a very special ceremonial garment. In the religious Jewish community especially, it's called a kittle. And the kittle is actually the same garment uh, that was worn by the priests and Levites as they would minister in the temple on behalf of the nation of Israel. It's a pure white linen garment, white being the symbol of purity and of priesthood. And so the father, being both the leader of his family and the priest of his family, puts on this white garment symbolizing his priesthood for the for the family in Israel. And not only does he put on this, this kittle, this white garment, this priestly robe, but he also, on top of it, puts on, on top of his head, a mitre. Now, a mitre symbolizes a crown in the ancient Near East because he's not only a priest of his family, he's king of his castle. And you say, you think I should be a contestant on the Food Channel with this get-up, huh? Well... Uh, Passover is not just for mothers and for fathers. It's especially a time for the children. And the children are invited to participate in a number of different ways, but most significantly through the Manish Tanah, four questions which are asked, usually by the youngest child, the answer to which gives the father 
in accordance with the command of Scripture, the responsibility to retell the story of Passover. And uh, I'm going to chant the first question in Hebrew, and then I want you to invite to invite you to say it with me in English. Which means, why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? And after chanting all four questions, the father then answers and retells the story of Passover from one generation to the next. And uh, just as there are four questions which unpack the story of Passover, so you can see here in front of you there are four cups which really serve as the outline of the service itself. Now, as we sit at the table, normally each of us only has one cup, but we drink from that cup four different times during Passover, each time there being a different name and meaning given to the cup. And the first time, it's called Kiddush, which literally means sanctification, because with this cup, we sanctify the rest of our Passover celebration. There's a traditional Hebrew prayer said over this cup, and Jesus certainly said that prayer in the upper room with his disciples. And then you'll remember he said something directly related to the words of that Hebrew prayer. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei peri hagafen Amen Together in English Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. And then Jesus said, It is with great desire that I have desired to eat this Passover with you. But I tell you truly, I will not partake of the fruit from the vine again until I drink it anew in the kingdom. And with those words, Jesus signaled his disciples then and now that this was unlike any other Passover. This was a very special one that would be fulfilled in the kingdom. Everything is blessed, sanctified, and everything has a particular order to it as well. Now, Seder is the Hebrew word for order. Passover is referred to as a Seder meal. And this is a Seder plate. And despite its appearance, it's not for deviled eggs. The compartments that we see on the Seder plate correspond to the food items on display down through here. So a little bit of each is put on that plate. And the first one that we have is carpus, which is the Hebrew word for greens. The rabbis tell us that the greens represent life. And we will take some salt water, which represents the tears of life. We dip the greens into the salt water, and so we are reminded that during our slavery in Egypt, our lives were immersed in tears. A life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. But we also remember that God redeemed us with a mighty and outstretched arm. He brought us out of bondage through the salty Red Sea and into freedom. And so by his mercy and grace, our lives have been drawn from the tears of slavery. And we eat the greens to remind us that we are now partaking of life redeemed from the tears of bondage and slavery because of God's mercy, because of God's grace. The second item on the Seder plate. Oh horseradish. We call it Jewish Dristan. <laughs> Guaranteed to unclog the sinus passages in the back of your head. 
Now, the horseradish, or maror, as it's called in Hebrew, is the very same bitter herb that God commanded Israel to eat their Passover with in Exodus 12, verse 8. It represents the bitterness of our slavery back in the land of Egypt. And what we do is we take some of the unleavened bread and we say the blessing over it. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Together in English. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then we take and we dip the bread into the horseradish, getting at least a teaspoon of it on there like this. And then, not going to do it. <laughs> You know what happens when you eat this much horseradish? You begin to cry. You have very little choice in the matter. But you see, the tears that we're shedding now are a very graphic reminder of the tears our forefathers shed. And through this very tactile experience, we are entering in to the experience that our ancestors had as well. Now, you'll remember when Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples, he had said to them, one of you is going to betray me. Well, the disciples got all upset. They said, Lord, is it I? And Jesus said, the one who dips in the sop with me this night, that one will betray me. Do you remember that? Well, this is the sop that he was referencing. And here's the thing. Each one of the disciples would have dipped with Jesus that night. Now, think about that. Which one of them in their own way didn't also betray him? They all left him. Even Peter who said, oh, I'll never leave you. The Bible says that when Jesus was arrested in the garden, what did he do? He followed at a distance. Have you ever felt like that to you? I know I have. I've followed, but at a distance. It gets us into trouble, bro brothers and sisters. Now, the wonderful thing is that even when we do that, and, and Peter, in his case, it led to three times denying he even knew the Lord. Jesus welcomed him back. He welcomes back even those of us who partake in the maror of life, the bitterness. But you have to come back. There was one who didn't, and that was Judas. And that very same night, we find Jesus taking the bread with the sop, handing it to Judas Iscariot. He said to him, what you must do, go, do quickly. And the Bible tells us that when Judas took the bread with the sop, Satan entered into him. And he went out into the night. Maror is bitterness and tears. The next item on the Seder plate is called Cha-ro-seth. Can you all say that? Cha-ro-seth. Not bad, but you do have to get that Cha in there. Yeah, that's right. Just don't look at your neighbor when you say it, all right? <laughs> now, charoseth is a sweet mixture. There's chopped apples and nuts, honey, raisins, cinnamon. It's absolutely delicious, but it represents the mortar that we used to make bricks for Pharaoh during our slavery in Egypt. It kind of looks like mortar. And so you might ask the rabbi, well, now, wait a minute, rabbi. If charoseth represents mortar for bricks, which was bitterness and, and toil to our people, why is this so sweet? Ah, the rabbi will say, because you see, even the bitterest of our toils grew sweet when we knew that our redemption drew nigh. And what we do is we take some of that unleavened bread, the matzah, we dip it into the charoseth, maybe getting a double portion of it on there. And what we find is that as we eat this mixture, that bitter taste that was left in our mouths from the horseradish just disappears in the sweetness of the charoseth. 
which very tactilely teaches us that even the bitterest things that we have to face in this world can be sweetened by the hope and promise of God's redemption. Amen. Now, this is Hazaret, the bitter root itself, a horseradish root, but if you don't have one of those, an onion will suffice because it's just a symbol resting on the plate to remind us that even the root of life is bitterness, as certainly our ancestors in Egypt understood firsthand. But the last two items on the Seder plate are the only two not present when Jesus celebrated Passover, and you'll understand why in just a minute. This is Chagiga. As you can see, Chagiga is actually an egg that has been hard-boiled. But you see, Chagiga was actually the name that was given to the Passover sacrifice made in the temple back in the days when the temple was standing, the lamb. But what we do with this is we peel it and we slice it. Before we eat the slice, we dip it into the salt water, which represents tears because you see we are mourning the fact that this is a memorial to a sacrifice that no longer occurs a sacrifice that can no longer occur because God said it could only occur in the appointed place which was the temple in Jerusalem Jesus said destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up he said not one stone would be left upon another and in 70 A.D., not a generation after he uttered these words, Titus and his Roman legions swept into Jerusalem, destroying the city and the temple. And from that day until this present, there has been no appointed place, no temple in Jerusalem. Therefore, there has been no sacrifice. And therefore, Jewish people mourn the absence, the loss. And in fact, because of that, most of the rabbis tell us we shouldn't eat, eat lamb anymore as the main course of the Passover meal. We have to have some other meat. And this last item on the Seder plate is the zroah, the shank bone of a lamb, to remind us of those lambs that were so central to the observance of Passover in that first one back in the land of Egypt, but which are now so sadly absent since the temple's destruction. And we read about those lambs in Exodus chapter 12. God commanded that we take a yearling male lamb without spot, without blemish, without any broken bone. We were to take that lamb and sacrifice it. Now this reminds me of another perfect Passover lamb who contrary to Roman custom did not have his legs broken when he hung on the cross. And so did Jesus fulfill that beautiful type, that picture that prophecy. We come now to the second cup, which is called the cup of plagues. And we don't drink from this cup right away, but rather dip our finger in the cup and drop a drop on the plate in front of us, one drop for each of the ten plagues God visited on the land of Egypt. We remember those terrible plagues, the blood, frogs, lice, boils, cattle disease, darkness, slaying of the firstborn. Nine times Pharaoh hardened his heart. Each time God sent a plague on the land of Egypt. But the tenth plague was the worst of all. It was the death of the firstborn. Now God told the children of Israel to take the blood of that sacrificed lamb in a basin to go outside of their homes and apply it to their doorposts, putting it on the top lintel and the two side posts. Blood of the lamb on the top lintel and the two side posts, making 
the sign of a cross with the blood of the lamb on that doorpost. That night death flew through the land of Egypt. There was weeping and wailing as never before till Pharaoh cried out, let them go, let them go or I'll die. But everywhere that the blood of the lamb was on the top lintel and the two side posts, death passed over that house. And so redemption came that night to the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. Now, because I believe in Jesus as my Messiah, and because I have by faith applied the blood of his sacrifice to the doorpost of my heart, when death comes to visit me, death is going to pass over me also because I have eternal life. Oh, praise God for that. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, this is called the matzah tash. Matzah, the unleavened bread, tosh, simply bag or pouch. And that's what this is. It's a bag actually for three pieces of the unleavened bread. Each piece is in its own section or compartment. And the rabbis tell us that the matzah tosh represents a unity. That is, three pieces of bread, one bag, three in one. And yet, there's a great deal of disagreement among the rabbis as to which unity it is this matzatash represents. Writing in the Haggadah, one tells us it represents the unity of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Another says, no, it represents the unity of worship in Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the people. And on go several more explanations. Well, I believe the Matzatash represents a unity also, but I believe that the Matzatash represents the unity of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's why. During a particular time of the Passover, we will reach into the second or middle compartment of the Matzatash. And you can ask the rabbi, Rabbi, why do we take the uh, middle piece and leave the first and third pieces hidden? And the answer is, we don't know. It's tradition. And there are three things I want you to notice about this matzah that make it kosher, acceptable for Passover. First of all, this is an entire loaf of bread. But look at it. It's flat like a cracker because there's no yeast in it. There's no leavening at all. In fact, we're so concerned that there be no leavening, no rising of the bread, that as we make it very quickly, we use a device to poke holes in the bread. And you can see the flame of the candle through the bread because the bread is pierced. And then we bake it on a rack, and these brown stripes baked right onto the bread. It is unleavened, striped, and pierced. Even as our sinless Messiah was striped by the Roman whips and pierced by the nails in his hands and feet and the spear in his side, as predicted over 700 years beforehand through Isaiah in the 53rd chapter. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was pierced through for our diseases, and by his stripes we are healed. We take this second piece from the middle compartment of the matzah and we break it in half. Taking this broken piece, we now wrap it in a linen cloth or in a linen bag, calling it afikomen, a word meaning he who is to come. The second piece, now broken, wrapped in a linen cloth, is carried outside of the room of celebration to be hid for a time, buried, if you will. And this is such an important part of the Passover. The entire celebration cannot be completed without that second piece. And we'll get back to that in just a minute. But I'm curious, how many of you have never been to a Passover meal before? 
the majority of you. Well, let me tell you, every year, Jews for Jesus does a Passover banquet. And if you get the Jews for Jesus newsletter, you would be notified of when and where that is. Maybe you have a Jewish friend who would invite you to come and celebrate with them. I encourage you. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience to go through the whole thing. But let me also warn you, if you're going to have Passover, eat lightly that day or not at all because you are really in for a meal. I want to assure you, Passover is much more than parsley and horseradish. We eat seven, eight main courses. It's delicious. Unfortunately, that's the part I forgot to bring with me this morning. And in lieu of that sumptuous meal, I know when you came in, you received a card with my picture on it. If you take that out, uh, if you didn't get one of those, maybe the ushers will need to come as well with these cards and to raise your hand, one per family sufficient, but we do want you to go ahead, as Pastor Phil warned you in advance, this great ceremony that will change your life, the tearing of the card together at the count of three. And I'm counting in Hebrew, and amazingly, you'll know when to rip. And if you don't have a card, you'll catch up. Here comes the count. Echad, shtaim, shalosh. Amazing. Unless you're especially creative, you should only have two pieces. The one with the picture of me on it, I want to ask you to take home with you as a prayer reminder card. I really appreciate your prayers. I know a lot of people here at Valley pray for me and pray for Jews for Jesus. And that is so important. It is the most important. I cannot do, we cannot do what we do without the prayers of God's people to undergird us. We are in very difficult times right now for Jews for Jesus simply because more than half of our missionaries are daily in harm's way. In Israel, in Ukraine, and in Paris, France, there are regular attacks. The police have designated in Paris our office as a likely target and so we have had to upgrade, and the police are regularly... It's an amazing time to be alive, but you know what? That's when the hope of the gospel shines more brightly. And so we need courage, and your prayers undergird our courage. We're out there making the gospel known, and so pray for us. Now, this larger section of the card, there's a place for your address. You can fill in just your email if you don't want to get mail through the post, but we encourage you to fill out both email and regular mail because along with getting the free monthly newsletter from Jews for Jesus, I know already many of you do, just check the box that says I already receive your regular communications because I don't think, maybe it was last year, we had just developed this new book entitled Roadmap to the Seven Feasts of the Old Testament. And um, if you don't have that yet, even if you get the newsletter, check that box. We'll make sure you do because what you've been learning about just with Passover, there's so much in each of all of the seven biblical feasts. And we want you to have that at your fingertips and we'll send that to you as well. And we have a newsletter. We have an email newsletter. In fact, Emmanuel, you guys know Emmanuel and Sarah are part of Jews for Jesus, and their family is part of this church. Emmanuel is one of the guys behind the, the, the curtain when it comes to Jews for Jesus and, and uh, our online stuff. So if you have any questions about that, you can talk to Emmanuel and Sarah. But fill out this card, and should they drop it at the table, Pastor Phil, at the back? or give it to the ushers. There is a table in the back. 
uh, that Pastor Phil's secretary is going to be at after the service. There's free literature, samples of our newsletters, gospel tracts, things that you'll appreciate getting. Help yourself. Talk to Pastor Phil's secretary before you help yourself to the not-so-free stuff. We have a lot of materials back there, books that I've written, books about the Passover. If you want more information about what you're hearing, Christ and the Passover, written by our founder, Moish Rosen, and his wife. You can take me home with you again through this video presentation of Christ and the Passover. So stop at the table. There's music. Some of our brand-new solo artists are on the back table there. See what can be of use to you. We certainly appreciate the partnership that we have together with Valley and reaching out in these troubled times with the good news, the hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, we've come through the meal of Passover now. I hope you've all had enough to eat. Because this last part of the Passover is the most important for we as followers of Jesus to understand. Towards the end of the meal, the head of the house will say to all the children, go search for the afikomen. Now, that's that second piece that was broken and wrapped in a linen cloth and hid for a time. And these kids did not get a chance to see where it was hidden. And they've had a big meal now, and so the best thing to do for the kids is to let them get up and go running around the house looking for that piece because the child who finds it brings it back to the head of the house and receives a reward for finding that second piece. Having rewarded the child, the father then stands and continues the ancient ceremony of the Matsutash and the Afikomen by breaking off small pieces and distributing one to each of the people seated at the table. Everyone now receives a piece of this second Afikomen. Does this remind you of anything? You see, brothers and sisters, if the Matsutash represents the unity of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why is that middle piece broken, buried, and brought back? If the Matsutash represents the unity of worship, the priests, the Levites, and the people of Israel, why is that middle piece broken, buried, and brought back? But if the Matsutash represents the unity of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then we know why. It's because Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was broken in death, wrapped in a linen cloth, buried in the tomb, and then brought back, resurrected by the power of God, conquering sin, conquering death. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So then it is no wonder that Jesus took this bread and broke it and gave to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do you see the picture? And then he took the cup. Well, now you know we take the cup four times during Passover, so which time was it? Well, thankfully, Paul tells us in the words of institution that Jesus took the cup after they had supped, after the meal of the Passover. So the first two cups come, then comes the meal. The last morsel of food eaten is the afikomen, followed directly by the third cup, the cup after supper, the cup of gulah, the cup of redemption. Looking back to the redemption God brought our forefathers from Egypt and looking forward to that redemption when Messiah comes. And at this climactic moment in the Passover in the upper room, Jesus, having taken the bread, takes the cup after supper and declares, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
And those words, new covenant, habrit hachadasha, would have directed the disciples to the very and only passage in all of the Hebrew Bible where that promise is made. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning with verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they break, although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. You see, that was the problem with that Mosaic covenant. You see, through disobedience, it became a broken covenant. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their inward parts, and on their hearts will I write it. The Mosaic covenant was written where? On tablets of stone. The new covenant was to be written on the tablet of our hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their sin and remember their iniquity no more. Oh, this was the ultimate condition upon which that new covenant rested. For no longer would sin be atoned for through daily offerings in the temple, but once and for all would God deal with this most difficult of human problems. And now Jesus, coming to the very high point of the Seder, raises the cup after supper and says, That which you have been waiting for, for, that which has been promised, that new covenant has now come in my blood. Imagine how the disciples must have imagined and thought and wondered about all this as celebrating this Passover year after year after year. One day in that upper room in Jerusalem, seeing, hearing about its very fulfillment, to imagine that God, in delivering Israel from bondage and slavery in Egypt, wove into the very fabric of that story, this picture of the greatest redemption of all. And of that redemption, you and I partake if we know Christ as our Savior, if we have by faith applied the blood of his sacrifice to the doorpost of our hearts. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Hallelujah. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I mean, what else can we do? Hallelujah. We have to let it be known. We have to declare it to be true. We have to believe on it in our hearts. Let us say so, which is exactly how Passover concludes. We have a big say-so celebration, singing hymns from the Jewish national hymnal. You all have copies, right? <laughs> well, you do, you know, because the Psalms are Israel's hymnal, and Psalms 113 through 118 are sung at this time. And the conclusion of this great say-so celebration is the great Hallel, the hymn, Psalm 118. Imagine Jesus. The Bible tells us that they sang the hymn. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Save now, we beseech thee. Save now, O Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, knowing what lay before him, singing those prophetic words about his own life and what was about to happen. Wow. And then they went out to the Mount of Olives. But before they left, they would have taken the cup one last time. The hymns of praise, Hallel, 
Hallelujah, praise the Lord, Hallel, praise. The cup of praise, concluding. Lashana Habab Yerushalayim is how Jewish people conclude Passover with this cup. Next year in Jerusalem. Because you see, this Passover not only bears with it all of the wonder of God's redemption in the past, but also all the hope of a redemption still awaited by many, most having never seen what you just witnessed. And therein lies the burden of my heart and of Jews for Jesus. Many are waiting. Many have given up waiting. But there is a tradition that perhaps, perhaps at Passover, the forerunner of the Messiah himself, Elijah, according to Malachi, will come. And so at every Passover table, we have this last cup, which is set out for Elijah. And no one sits here and no one drinks from the cup. But at a particular time, the head of the house says to the youngest child, go open the door for Elijah. And I have to say that as a child, this was a little spooky for me. Is he there? Is he not? You know? We had a crazy uncle that would always shake the table, you know? But there's a solemnity as well as we greet him. We sing together what is the oldest Hebrew melody known today. As the door is opened, we sing, Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu HaTishbi, Eliyahu, Eliyahu, Eliyahu HaGiladi. Elijah the prophet, Elijah the Tishbite, Elijah the Gileadite, come even in our days and bring with you Messiah, son of David. And every year we stand and sing and so many wonder, is he ever going to come? They don't know. They don't know of that one named Yochanan. You know him as John the baptizer. One day, John saw a Jewish man coming up over the hill and declared, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And of him, Jesus said, If you care to receive it, John is Elijah. They don't know. And they don't know of that one, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, who did come? The Lamb. And my hope and prayer is that in our being together today, if you've never applied the blood of the Lamb to the doorpost of your heart, that you will do so. That's the fifth question. Have you applied the blood to the doorpost so that death will pass over you? That's the fifth question. I hope you do. And my hope and prayer that for those of us who know the Lord is that not only will you be enriched in your understanding of what is your, yes, your heritage too in the Messiah, God's love for you? What a picture. But in some greater way today, you will share with us and the burden of so many Jewish people who have never seen now what you've seen. And we together now who believe are not like those of my people who hope and wait. But because we know him, we wait with unwavering hope. For the Bible says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he come again. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus.
Amen. Pastor Phil.